Dear GTM Strategies, today we will talk about positioning. You might have the best product in the world, but if nobody knows about this, at then it's a problem. With us is Andrei Persholia, who's a positioning expert and he's helping tech companies to create clear and compelling message for their products. Andrei believes products fail not because the products are bad, but because the product is miscommunicated and users don't see the value in the product. Andre aims to make company positioning practical with his proprietary positioning framework that focuses on exclusive um, tangible tests leading to a sustainable and growth funnel. He worked with 200 companies so far, including some big names such as LinkedIn superstar Richard van der Blom. And today he's here with us to chat about positioning. Andre, hi, how are you doing? Hey, Maya, I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so impressed by you for years now, because our relationship started as like this mentorship slash coaching thing. And right now, as I see you working with German companies, with American companies and rocking your discipline, man, I'm impressed and I'm utilizing your superpowers myself, as you well know. So Andre is always like my go-to guy when it comes to positioning and messaging questions. And just like, let's warm up by sharing an example. Like what's the weirdest positioning story that ever happened uh well i don't know about um ah, weirdest there is a ton of sort of weird positioning um stories out there but i think like sort of if i had to tell one story it would be the one that sort of um made the most impact for me um simply because of how it 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 sort of it affected the whole um company so I was working at a SaaS company in the SEO space. So it's, you know, it's your basic software that helps you manage and, and um, track your SaaS, SaaS activities, um, sorry, SEO-related activities. And the company was doing about um, seven figures um, when I came into the company, but the founder sort of struggled to keep that up um, because his ad costs were going up and up. And the conversions are the conversion rates basically were were lowering um, all the time, and so um, that's the point where he sort of sought help because he was a technical founder, didn't know anything about marketing, didn't know what was happening, and obviously in the beginning we always do this um, audit to figure out you know what's what's going on, right? And we quickly found that there is a ton of new competition popping up you know, almost on a daily basis. It was almost like AI now where you have, you know, two different, two new AI um, product launches uh, on Product Hunt or, or somewhere um, every day, right? And you have these new competitors who are just, you know, they're copying your websites, they're copying your texts, your uh, your um, copy on the websites. And so that's why, obviously, because the space was getting more and more saturated, the ad costs were rising and, the company didn't have any clear differentiation. So that means that whenever, you know, somebody, a user came onto the, the landing page, onto our, like, onto our landing page or the competitor landing page, he saw the same thing, right? So he didn't know that one company was established five years ago and had real, you know, good tech, et cetera, et cetera. The second one was a new company. They didn't know what they were doing. Basically, what they saw are two completely same things. And so what starts happening is that, they the users choose based on the only um, difference that they have, which is the price. And you don't want to obviously compete on price, right? So that's why the conversion rates were lowering. That's why the ad costs were, were going up, right? And so 
what we did in the beginning was um, because the company had no real, hasn't done any real research on the users, we knew that we had to tackle that first. So if we wanted to improve the conversion rates, we need to know, like, we needed to know how, you know, who is actually using the, the software and why. And so what we did was we changed the, we, we basically changed the onboarding process. We added a couple of questions into onboarding, um, just asking them, you know, basically the onboarding was like, we need to, we need this info to help you set up the account. And then, by the way, why do you really need this, right? And the only thing that really, we, we really did was we went through those answers. We filtered by the pro, pro, product analytics as well. So, you know, who is actually spending a lot of money in the, um, in the product? Who is converting onto the higher tiers? And we mirrored that message back to them. So basically, we took the, the words that they put into these um, answers and we put that onto the landing page. So when they answered something like, oh, I want to do this and that, I want to achieve this, we basically just said on the landing page, achieve this with our software, right? And so our message was really, you know, it was basically our users saying, hey, I want to do this. And we said, all right, we'll let you do this. And that sort of, it was interesting that this, this sort of worked really well in this case. Um, but then when, you know, we, the sort of the conversion started, started going up and up and we started learning all of these new things. And, you know, the founder sort of got excited about, oh, hey, like this is really easy when you have the data on the user data. This is really easy. Let's just, you know, let's put 20 questions into the onboarding process and let's learn more about them and give them what they want. And obviously you can't do that, right? Um, so we took a step back. We added, we started sort of testing. What do these people want? Started getting more specific. And um, we found that, okay, so people want, you know, for the people, the software works well, but it's, you know, kind of boring or you know they're not guided enough etc etc and so we added for example a gamification a gamification plan to the software so now the, the user came in and he had like this sort of um you know oh do this you get 20 percent in your you know leveling system or whatever it was and then you reach level two and then you reach level three etc etc and we started guiding them through the process so you know connect um connect your Google account to it, you got, you know, a bonus points and stuff like that. And so what, like, why, why this story was sort of interesting for me was not so much because of the numbers, like the company I, uh, sort of tripled the revenue, but it wasn't so much about the numbers as much as that everything, basically the positioning was sort of the, the beginning of like a whole wide change in the company because it affected not just the messaging and the copy like it usually does it affected how we marketed it affected the ads it affected development it changed um, the founder's perspective on oh we really need to know our clients and so it was sort of a breakthrough and it showed me that even in a really crowded space like you know ai now for example you can stand out if you're specific enough um, on the customers and if you know who your customers are and what they want. And that's sort of like, that's sort of the reason why I now, you know, on LinkedIn, I keep yelling at people, just talk to your customers. So it's like, it's, it made a sort of a mindset shift for me as well.
Got it. That's such a wonderful story. And I just love your passion about positioning because the funniest thing that you mentioned is yes, and the revenue tripled, but we learned oh. so much about positioning. Yeah. Uh, congratulations. That was like a really, 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 really good use case. Um, and you mentioned a couple of symptoms of bad positioning already. So when it comes to this differentiation between like positioning and good positioning and bad positioning, how, how do you separate the two? Um, so positioning, positioning for me is about, you know, finding a unique value in your product. So what's the value and like, why does someone care about that value? That's sort of what it is. Uh, and then obviously you have to communicate that in a clear and compelling narrative. And this is where a sort of mes messaging um, comes in. Um, so it's almost like a story, right? Like I like to think about it as a story that makes your product unique and the story needs to hold up, right? So if I say like, you know, I'm 22 just out of college and I'm an expert consultant, this story doesn't add up, right? Because how can you consult anyone when you're just out of the university, right? Okay, you could be an expert like... TikToker, though. That would add up. Exactly. So if you had, well, yeah. Le le so let's say, you know, I'm, I'm a young 22-year-old yeah, person and I've been using TikTok since day one. You could say I'm a professional TikTok or uh, I consult companies on TikTok. I, I would believe that, right? But, you know, show me how you got to that point, right? So the story needs to hold up. And it's the same in companies, right? If we say, you know, we are we like we have the best tech, right? And then you have two data people, uh, two, two developers or something employed. You can't be the best at tech, right? You don't have the team to be the best at tech. So... The the sort of you have to find what's what's unique about it, and you have to like write your story, your narrative, so that it th that it's believable. People don't believe things that you know are just overhyped because they are written down anymore. We we all learned from Facebook, right? And this is sort of I think when it comes down to good and bad, bad positionings, I, I think sort of how you structure that in a way that it's believable. Um, I think that it comes down to that. Can I believe that or or and do I care about that? These are sort of the two questions that really matter. But you know, good positioning also like it really depends on the stage of the company, right? So it we we don't have something like positioning isn't something that's just going to hold up throughout um all of the like the throughout the whole life cycle of a company, right? Because um let's take for example, I don't know, an early stage startup doesn't have a lot of assets, right? It's a new company. They don't. They probably don't have a large team. Um, they might have, you know, some something specific um, about them. But you need to be really clear, really specific on what value you're providing and for whom, right? Whereas a, a large company, for example, I, I, when I was working with GoFleet, um, it's a vehicle tracking platform. Um, so. Basically, GoFleet is one of the industry leaders in GPS tracking. It's a Canadian company. And their um, value proposition is something like one platform for 
your vehicle tracking and it doesn't matter what kind of a vehicle tracking is it is and it makes sense because it's a large company so you know we cover this and we cover that and we cover the third one and it doesn't matter whether your your vehicles are trucks or um, planes or whatever right so it makes sense because it's a huge company but if you try to use the same message if you're now a startup and and say you know um, one platform for your vehicle tracker where well, you have a team of six right how will you ever like be able to create scalable um, business models for every or you know even scalable products for every vehicle that there is in the world there are specifics when you go to planes there are specifics when you go to trucks etc cetera, etc cetera. so you know a good positioning for one company is actually bad positioning for another company because it all depends on the company um, and you know, while we are on the subject of bad positioning, um, bad positioning is everything that includes, you know, the words like empower, elevate, um, level up in your value proposition. Like, if you have these ambiguous words in your value proposition, that's just like, it, it hurts my eyes. Like, we empower the productivity of your sales team. What does that mean? Do you sell CRM or are you like, do you deal cocaine, right? You Like a drug dealer could easily have that as a value proposition, right? So. It's, it doesn't make any sense. Who knows what you do? So, you know, a- anything ambiguous is just like, don't do not do that. Be specific, be clear. Well, on even cliche, because sometimes people, yeah. I don't know if it is like really fear that they wouldn't achieve the large market that they are aspired to, or is it just like a little bit of imposter syndrome whispering to your ear, maybe you're not good enough, maybe you shouldn't brag about yourself too much. But the thing is that like so many positioning statements are complete vanilla. So they are like either ununderstandable or just like non-intriguing, not interesting at all. It don't make like my heart sink and say, shut up and take my money. So when you are selecting those floscos, those like power words or even just like industry cliches, I think that you are trying to play safe, but in reality, you are harming yourself. Yep, exactly. And it's, I think we're not, um, I, I, I definitely agree. I definitely agree that we are trying to be too safe, not to offend anyone or, you know, lose a customer segment. Because especially in the early days, when your startup is making, you know, half a million, a million, two million a year, the only sort of way you can, I think, compete is in today's world, because we are so, like, we are so over flooded with, with all of the solutions is to go specifically ser- serve like one to one maybe two customer segments could be free if they have the same use case but you can't serve like five customer segments so it's okay to lose customer segments because you want to niche down to um to a specific area and and it's not like i think like i, I found found out why that's important um it's because you can't create a scalable process if you're creating five different processes at once uh, for the for five different customer segments. What you're re- really looking for if you want to grow is creating scalable processes. And you can only create so many scalable processes at once. If you're making 2 million a year, have a team of 20 people, 30 people in, in your team, you can't create five five scalable processes at the same time you really need to niche down focus on one create a scalable process let it grow 
grow into that vertical and then spread your message. And then eventually you'll be a corporation who can say, you know, we're doing this and this and this and that. And like companies like, for example, Slack or Miro, they can now use a more generic message because they have target audiences, but it didn't start like that, right? They started going like vertical after vertical. And I think even like horizontal startups to some extent are vertical startups that grew basically. So a horizontal startup, so somebody who has different customer segments or multiple customer segments, at some point in the beginning, it was a vert- like it was a vertical. So it was a clear need for, I don't know, uh, we create a whiteboard for marketers and that's it. So yeah, and then adding verticals on top, it basically, it's how you grow, right? Got it. So Figma is another interesting example. They started by just like supporting video game design studios. I was talking to Jesus uh, Jesus Rakena and it was such a cool story because, you know, now Figma is a go-to design tool for everybody. But from the beginning on, there are just like a couple of gaming studios falling in love with a product. And this is like the beauty of Beachhead strategy. It's never like the last segment that you will be serving. It's just like the one that will help you conquer the market. The first one. Cool. We talked about scalable processes. We talked about how important it is to make predictable decisions, preferably with confidence. So let's talk about your positioning framework next. Um, How to think about positioning, because as you describe it, it sounds super easy. I know it's not because I have been bumping my head against the wall and calling you on multiple different occasions. So how do you make sense of positioning in order to onboard morons such as myself in order to start grasping it? Oh, (laughs) so it's, um, that's something that I love about positioning and why sort of positioning is so, is what I do. Um, it totally depends on how you look at it from like, it depends from company to company. There is no, like the, my answer to every question. And I, I know people hate me for it. I, I get, um, you know, backlash on, on LinkedIn all the time about this. It's the answer is always going to be, it depends, right? Because it depends on your context. It depends on the market. It depends on your customer audience, et cetera, et cetera. So there is no one way to position um, a company. And that's sort of what I like about it because it's challenging, right? But we sort of like, if you want to do it in a framework, you sort of have to have a fixed starting point. So my fixed starting point is always doing an audit on the company. So it's, you know, market research, checking the um, landing pages that the company has, checking the customer audiences and all of that. And we do the um, ICP work next, right? So who is the who are the customer segments that we're targeting and who makes sense for what? What's the product like and how can we connect that? What's the uh, problem solution fit? So what's the um, one problem that we can solve better than anyone else um, in, the, in the market? And then from there, the actual positioning work starts. So if we have, um, you know, if we have, I'm going to presume that we have the ICP, we know the ICP and we know, and we did the audit, I would start with mapping out the competitors. So, and here is sort of the the first um, myth or the first sort of things that people 
do do poorly, I think, is think about the competitors are sort of just direct competitors who have the, the exact same solution as we do. Um, or like they are maybe about... even 100 times bigger than we are, right? Oh, yeah, that's even that's even worse. That's not your competitor. You're not competing with that. Um, usually you're not. Um, but sort of, so the I like to think about competitors as alternatives, right? So what's the alternative? What So if my ICP, my best fit customer, um, has the problem that I help with, what are what are the alternative actions that they can take if they want to solve their problem, right? And all like the the number one answer is gonna be all. It's always gonna be nothing, right? The the basically the the my ICP will do nothing. Um, so actually, we're competing against competitors, but we're also competing against the status quo, right? So basically, the, how how people do that, you know, like we all know, I don't know, Excel is probably the most hated software on the planet, yet everyone's using it, right? Um, because change is hard. And so to make the change, we really need two things. One is we need to add urgency. So why would a customer act out, uh, act now? So basically the point of um, or the, the pain of not switching has to be bigger than the pain of switching. Um, but then the other, the, the other thing that we need to do is we need to um, differentiate from the competitor, right? So the, the, basically our ICP has to take an action and has to choose us over the competitors. These are the two, like th these two things need to happen if you want to get the deal, right? Because if the user takes the action but doesn't choose you, obviously you've lost the deal. In, and if the user doesn't take the action, um, you can't, obviously you won't get the deal because he, he didn't or they didn't do anything, right? So this is sort of how I start my framework. I start by ma mapping out the competitors and I want to make it really practical. I want to make it really tangible um, for the company. So I actually started scoring the companies, your competitors, um, on how they are positioned for a specific need. So what happens usually, especially in B2B, is or actually it's it's across the, the products, but especially where it's important is especially B2B, where the user has certain needs, right? So the company that you're talking to, the client, will have certain needs on how they evaluate the software. So basically, um, if we if we just do like an example, because it's probably going to be better to, to illustrate. Yes. Um, let's say a typical B2B product. So we have like a um, GPS vehicle tracking system um, that helps you stay in control of your vehicle fleet, right? Um, so your competitors in that space will be similar tracking systems because GPS, as far as I know, is the only tracking system that really works. And then the status quo. So doing nothing, right? And now the client needs are how the clients evaluate the software. So if you went to Lufthansa and said, hey, we can, you know, we can, we can help you track your planes, um, the, they're going to ask about, okay, so is your comp is your software reliable? Does it work at 99.9% .9 of the time? So reliability is one of their needs. Um, next, it's going to be geotargeting. Can we locate the, the plane at all times? 
Um, next is going to be, well, hey, you know, like a lot of people who use this software are not really technically savvy because these are, you know, um, I don't know, somebody in the office, et cetera, et cetera. So the software needs to be easy to use. That's another need. And so you map out all the needs and you map out all the competitors. And then you go through the competitors um, and just go through, go through them and just check how well they are positioned for, for specific needs. And so now you have a score of the companies, how well they are positioned, but you also have the needs. And let's say in this, in this um, example, let's say that, you know, you find that, um, you know, obviously software, like your competitors are going to be well positioned for geo-targeting because that's a hard requirement. Um, they're going to have easy to use interface, um, but they're not doing a lot on service costs. So Lufthansa now said that, you know, we also care about service costs. Like what's the main, like we want to lower the maintenance of our fleet because this is really a huge expense and sort of nobody of your competitors are, are really doing anything about it um, with their product, right? So you know that there is an unsatisfied need for your client. Now, um, next, going through the framework, what we found right now is a need that's unsatisfied going through the framework. We need to make, like, we need to figure out, can we sort of fill that need? Can we satisfy that need that's unsatisfied? So we need to map our assets. So our assets would be, you know, our features in the software, um, our team abilities, our skills, our knowledge, our locations sometimes. Because, you know, if you're in a, I don't know, if you're, production factory is in i don't know india it will be cheaper so that's you know it's a benefit for the for the customer so even location so you map down all the assets that you have within the company and we have to determine whether these assets are actually qualifiers or differentiators now qualifiers are something that the market expects of you so if you have a vehicle tracking like geotargeting is going to be a hard requirement you can't, can't play the game if you don't have that right it's like think desi like designer without a portfolio it doesn't work you can't sell anything right um, differentiators are how you're different from everyone else on the market so what makes you stand out and so we need to figure out whether our um, our assets that we just mapped out are qualifiers or, or differentiators. And so the next thing is when we, oh, so, so let's go, let's go on with, with the, with the vehicle tracking system. So let's say that, you know, we have geotargeting, we have an easy to use interface. So we're satisfying that needs, but those, those are all qualifiers. Everyone has that, right? So the only thing that we have that other people don't have is, the analytical team. We have a highly capable, you know, development and analytical team or something like that. And so the next part of the framework is a typical feature to benefit um, exercise, right? So you go from the feature, which is in our case, the we have a highly capable analytical team and we, you try to figure out what kind of competitive advantage that gives you and how does the client actually benefit? So if we take the analytical team, our competitive advantages we can you know develop our software really quickly adapt it quickly to the to the client's um, framework and software that exists within Lufthansa in this case um, and so what's the benefit is that the integration of um, our product will be faster and most of the companies would stop here 
right? They would say, okay, so that's a clear differentiator. We have, we can start the project faster than all of our competitors. And they would go pitch that to Lufthansa or, you know, another company. The problem is if you go back to the, um, where we mapped out the, the user needs, there is no need to be faster in integration. Lufthansa doesn't see the value in that, right? Because even the sales talks are going to take, you know, 12 months to start the deal. They won't care whether we integrate with them in eight months or in nine months, right? So we have a differentiator that the customers don't care about. But what we can do, if we take that analytical team and we know that there is an unsatisfied need in the maintenance department, we know that we can take that analytical team and develop a feature that helps you um, save 20% in maintenance costs. And now we have a clear differentiator because Lufthansa cares about that or you know, any, any company um, cares about the maintenance costs because we know that from the interviews. And we have a team that's capable of developing a feature. So now we have a clear differentiator. And now the talk becomes like our talks with Lufthansa become actually um, productive, right? Because we can come to the to the client and say, hey, so we have this uh, vehicle tracking, fleet, vehicle fleet tracking um, system, and we are the only ones on the market that saves you 20% of the maintenance costs out of the box. Do you want to save 20%? And what that solves is, one, we are clearly different to anyone on the market. And two, it it helps with the status quo problem, right? Because do you want to save 20%? Do you want to save, I don't know, 65 million this year? Sure. Absolutely. I would love that, right? So there is the urgency. The the pain of not switching is higher than the the pain of switching. Right, and we get the deal, and so that's sort of that's the framework. So you go from the competitors mapping them out, um, scoring their needs, um, mapping up, uh, map, mapping out your assets, figuring out how you're best or how you can become the best, how you can satisfy that unsatisfied need, and turn that into a value proposition um, that you can then obviously spread around. Right. Like a virus. Oh, exactly. no, just kidding. Just kidding. Thank you so much for explaining us the example. That was really insightful. I've seen this work in practice. So just this week, uh, you were guest at our cohort that we are running with Ognian and people went through this process like in half an hour. So it's not something that you literally need like to study for. It's ideally you would do a fire research, but just like to grasp the basic ideas, this framework is really, really, really good tool in order to help you start thinking. Of course, you always have to come back, do the research, it's changing and stuff like that, but it yeah. really works and you can like literally self-onboard yourself to version one. So that's why we will link the uh, framework to the podcast notes as well. Uh, we have like other treats for people who are listening to this, but just like to add up on these qualifiers and differentiators, this was really interesting for me. Also, what to pack in your price right because i was working with an ad tech tool and they were just like trying to revamp pricing and you know how it was like the idea was like 
paper user and I was like, nah, never, never, never punish the adoption. The second idea was that they should be paying like for some sort of email marketing tools. And I said, like, are you actually good at this or would it be better to stick with MailChimp? And that was something that was not convincing to a client. But the third one, why I was very much intrigued when you say analytics, it was the same in their case, right? So there was a specific segment like pro pro, pro, uh, course creators that are making like at least million a year with their online courses who are just like so frustrated with existing analytics and how things are set up. So selling this persona, the analytical model could finally be differentiator from a free package from the ones that like literally has to work. And it's being like severely framed by Teachable and by Tinkific because these are the existing alternatives on their market. And we finally got something. So I don't have a feedback loop on that one just yet, but it was so interesting to see that we came to the same conclusion by just like me doing pricing and you doing positioning. Yeah, because it it, it goes hand in hand. Like pricing, it's actually um, I, I I had an interesting conversation about a couple of months um, back, and it was um, there was this pricing expert, and um, he's he's from the Netherlands, and when when we talked about the the like all right so what do you do and and i saw like i saw in your profile that you're a pricing expert and he said back to me well yes but most of my work is actually positioning because the better that you can write that story the Super. higher price you have it's it's that simple and you know like same thing if you take um conversion rate optimization right most people like most people will say conversion rate optimization is running A-B tests um, on your landing page. That's not true. Most CRO guys who are really good, good or, or, or ladies, I'm not discriminating. Um, most CRO people and experts who I talk to, they do most of the positioning stuff. This is where the value is. And so, you know, positioning is sort of the basis for everything that you put on, be it a price, a marketing strategy, et cetera, et cetera. It's if you don't think about it, if you don't, you know, if you don't figure out your positioning, nothing else will work. Like like you said in your pricing example, why I don't convert in most SaaS software, what's the biggest sort of obstacle that I face is on the pricing page, um, the company lists all of the features that they have in oh, different yeah, tiers. Oh yeah, that's the right? hobby. <laughs> yeah. And so you have, you know, the free tier, which gives you, you know, sort of limited this and limited that and limited whatever. And then you have the first date plan, which is, you know, you have everything in the free tier plus this, 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 and that. And where my mind goes is like, I okay, so you have feature one. I like that. You have feature two. I like that. You have feature three. I don't even know what it does. You have feature four. I don't need that. And where my mind goes is I'm now overpaying for your software because you have this feature that I don't need. I would gladly convert if that feature wasn't included. So basically what you're doing is you're giving me too too many features to to choose from, right? I mean, you're basically giving me too many options. You're making it too complicated to see the value of your product. So a better way to do that would be just like, you know, this is what you'll achieve with this. And these are the features that are going to take you to there. That's it. And 
you know, it's a sort of a feature plus the benefit combo. Um, and and for some reason, SaaS companies are really not doing that that well um, because I'm not going to overpay for the software. I'm going to find the software that suits my needs. So, you know, why would I pay 30 bucks a month for something that I only use, you know, and I only use like 20% of your features? Like having more features is not a value. I love it. And you probably, I heard it the first time for you. I don't know if it is your original thought or not, um, but just like this idea of overpaying for product because like you don't eat 80%, use 80% of features. I felt like this. I felt like this as a user. For example, we are yep. recording today on Riverside and like they have gazillion features out there. And all I use is the recording feature and then like making video snippets. Oh, yep. how I wish that there would be a smaller package in which yep. one I wouldn't be bombarded with all this AI crap and all these just like transcriptions, which I don't use. So am I overpaying for Riverside? Maybe. I mean, I do like the video editing tool. Uh, it's really simple, but uh, I think that everybody who's listening to this episode has the story or two like that. So that's a yeah. really, really, really profound thought. Yeah, exactly. And uh, like, if you think about it now, let's say that, you know, a company is working on sort of that solution. They they saw that and they're working on a, that kind of solution and they could be launching on Product Hunt and you would be their first customer, right? Because you could just switch if they had solid video editing and the recording and nothing else. And you don't have to bloat your software with features. That's why I think like when we started talking today, we, we start, I sort of started talking about, you know, the first lesson was talk to your customers. And I think that, you know, talking to your customers gets you like, gets you clarity on what they actually need, what, which features they actually use. Um, and obviously you can add product analytics into that. And then, you know, how do we monetize that in the best way possible? Um, and that's sort of it, it, like that kind of model will get you far. Just adding feature on top of a feature or, you know, adding AI because it's fancy now. Um, I don't think it will get you um, a long way, right? Because you'll just have basically a pricing problem. You'll have a conversion problem on the pricing page because nobody wants to overpay for something they're not using. Reflecting strongly on this, because just like today at one, I have a customer discovery interview with one of the entrepreneurs who came to my office hours yesterday, and he wanted to interview me on the spot, um, how I feel about LinkedIn commenting, and if I would pay for a tool that would like AI generate this for me. And this is probably like why I was paying for Taplio in the first place. But then like after I didn't do scheduling anymore, I kind of churned and the rest is history but I do miss that specific feature. So of course, like I was just natural and trivia, call me tomorrow. I mean, I can talk for ages about how cringe AI comments are on LinkedIn. Absolutely. And by just like being focused on something which is hypothetically for now, because I told him to do at least 10 interviews with strong content creators who are yep. paying, already paying for yep. the tools on LinkedIn, not general population. Um, I hope that you can like validate this idea, but I will share 
with him what you told me today in this podcast, that if it is a feature, if it is a really good feature, it could be a product and you don't have to build like four other things on top of this in order to make a lame taplio, which doesn't work no. for the majority of content creators that um, churn from this, obviously. So an yeah. ideal customer persona might be a churned Taplio user. Yeah, and and that's perfect because now your ad is written, right? <laughs> don't like don't like Taplio anymore. Here is a cheaper, better solution, right? Love um, this. Yeah. So so, in, like in that case, you can actually you can actually uh, use comparative positioning, right? So you can just just use Taplio as an example. Um, you know, use Taplio but churned. Here we have, you know, this is what we're doing. So, yeah, it's um, it's interesting that, you know, positioning often is quite is It can be quite complex, but it, it also can be quite uh, quite easy to solve if you just think about it. The issue is that, you know, with with founders is um, as founders, we are really like we're hands on in like on the project. We have too much knowledge on the project. We just have a different context that the user has. It's really difficult to get out of our heads and into the customer's mind, not knowing what we, like we would have to have sort of a, you know, temporary delete button on all of our memory, um, memories in, in our brain to actually do a well, like to, to actually position our projects um, well, right? And that's why I think you need a sparing partner. You need to talk to, People, consultants, um, friends, whoever, like you need to talk to people who are not um, involved in the project so that they give you an outside in perspective on the project. Because usually the the best strategy is the most obvious one. You just don't see it because you're too involved in the project. You're thinking about the details too much. And, so it's either like the curse of knowledge that it yeah. is like intellectually very difficult to grasp how people feel like at the beginning of the customer journey, even when presented the data. But I would also say this is why I use you as my sparing partner for all our positioning attempts at Growth Lab. Uh, but the thing is that sometimes I get a little bit emotional and defensive about this, right? So I fall in love with my, my own idea and I'm trying to save it like for all possible costs and I just need like a little bit of a sanity check like am I onto something or do I really like the idea show me some evidence does the market really want this and that like it was really interesting our conversation just today on Slack um, you know that I got like very obsessed by the, idea, by the idea that in GTM strategy people need simple solutions that are quick to implement and I wouldn't yeah. say make your GTM strategy in a weekend because I would be lying to folks but that offer sounds promising and yep. i kind of began to feel like winston churchill here when i was just like gtm is sweat brought in tears and numerous iteration to get to product market fits i mean it's such a downer for people to hear yep. that right because life is difficult enough and i know yep. that the narrative is correct that i'm telling the truth because i have seen hundreds of these cases but then i get into this dilemma okay i know what would be a direct response copy so build your gtm strategy you know we get but it's not truthful to me right i yeah. wouldn't say that i would have like money guarantee in order to build like a weekend gtm strategy it's just something that i wouldn't refund never as a business founder because i don't believe yeah. that it would work so yeah. um 
back to your point, when it comes to sparing and stuff like that, what will you answer to me? Um, I would say find what's valuable, like um, do do sort of a, a an in between thing. So you, so I would I would definitely not go with the message, you know, um, um, do your marketing strategy in a weekend because that's not a believable story. I know no. that, you know, I know that. That's almost like impo- it's almost like saying you know one of those ads that you get every now and then saying hey you want to make six figures in the next month like yes that's not or lose happen. five kilos yeah yes. exactly it's basically you know it's, there is layers to how we believe things and there are messages that just go too far right so for example I had a I had a case where um, uh, it, obviously it was a CRM software and the CRM obviously, software was, yeah, their, their value, their value proposition was we help you sell more. That's not a good value proposition because how does having a CRM software impact my bottom line? Like my bottom line gets impacted by, you know, 20 different things and whether my salespeople are um, sick or not, whether, you know, what, like it, it literally can be affected by a million different things. Right. And so you can't promise me that there is like the, the, basically the message is too far out onto like you did the why exercise too far, basically when you have the why exercise, right? So why do people want this? Right. So we have a CRM software. Why do you need it? Right. And the answer to the question would be, well, because I need some place to store my data on my customers and not forget um, to call them. Right. And then you go, you, you go one step further. Okay. But why do you need that? Well, because I typically forget or don't know when to follow up. Okay. So why is that? Well, because I'm not a very good sale, et cetera, et cetera. And you, and in the end you'll come to, well, because I want to make more money. Right. And so, oh yeah, let's put that onto your value proposition. No, like it's too far. We don't believe it. So I wouldn't do um, like create a marketing um, strategy in a week. What I would do is uh, turn the message into something like, um, do quick iterational tests, for example, or do a quick iterational test in a weekend that will get, guide you to your to your marketing strategy, right? And so the idea is that obviously you need to, you need to you know word that nicely, and I would have to spend like half an hour with that message uh, to make it nice. But um, the idea is that it's sort of can you show progress and can you show that it's easy these are sort of the two things that you have right now because one of the pain points in doing the strategy and i know that from my own work because i tried to sell two large uh, deals right and the people don't see it um that's that's one of the the issues is that i try to um present my my projects too holistically i can see that you know, you have this pain point in the conversions, but what I see is that um, solving that also helps us with that. And then th- this leads to this, and I can help you here and this and this, and this is, you know, a 120K project and the owner won't see it, right? The owner only needs to sort of uh, focus on on the first problem with on the immediate pain, which is I have a conversion problem. And this is sort of the same in your case. So Doing a marketing strategy, a lot of people don't even know where to start that, right? They don't know, um, like, I know, like, right now they can buy your book, right? And and they'll, they'll fix that problem. But it's DIY offer, DIY. 
there you go. But um, but most people they don't understand. Like they they don't even know where to start with the strategy. It it feels like it's this sort of huge, intangible problem that they have that they don't know how to tackle. So give them a quick and easy way that's completely painless, one small step that they can do in a week. You know, create a landing page test um, in a weekend or create something small that's going to be of value for them in a weekend. And you can start that marketing strategy. Um, you can start tackling that problem. So at least they'll feel the progress of, okay, we're make, making progress on that. It's not, it's not that difficult, actually. But give them small iterations. And so you need to package that into your message, basically. And the value ladder, so it's not like yeah. overwhelming. Okay, so no exactly. more sweat, but there's positioning. You convinced me <laughs> to do better. Uh, then let's wrap this down by just like saying, okay, we got to this positioning hypothesis. For example, right now we developed a positioning hypothesis that I could be like having this checklist or an offer or a course to do some sort of element on GTM in a weekend, like to conduct 10 interviews or Brian the ICP. This is like like yep. still the most common question. By the way, people do love positioning uh, chapter in the book as well. It is uh, many people's favorite chapter and we collaborated on this. Thank you so much again. Uh, it's great work that you did. But maybe we didn't focus enough on testing because we ran yep. out of pages. So we come up using your framework with a hypothesis. What next? Well, ne ne next you want to test. Um, and I found that um, I'm not calling it testing anymore because people hate that. Um, but you you actually have to test whether that works. So as with any strategy, your final outcome is a hypothesis. And the definition is of a hypothesis is that you don't know whether it works or not. You don't know whether it's true or not. So you have a value proposition. Let's say that um, if we go back to that case, we had uh, vehicle tracking and we saw we saved 20% on maintenance costs, right? So how would you actually test that? Um, one of the biggest, and that was sort of the biggest challenge that I gave myself to fix that because a lot of people think that positioning is sort of, it's untestable, it's difficult to test, which I found that it's really not. If you like, I have two methods um, that that can quickly give you um, sort of an, at least will give you an 80% solution to testing. So you'll know, uh, you'll have a good feeling about whether that works or not. And one is really old school just go to a conference and talk to five people. That's it. That's sort of the qualitative way of testing. It's basically get five um, people in your target audience and pitch them your value proposition. So you go to a, um, you go to an, I don't know, air something festival. You go to the representative of the, of Lufthansa and you say, Hey, we're working on a solution where you save 20% in maintenance costs. Would that interest you? And um, if yes, can we book a call for next week? And you can, there is a lot of way you, you can see whether that's working or not, um, because you'll see by their body language, by, the, by their expression, will there, will there, they try to find another, um, person to speak to immediately or will they, they be interested in the topic etc etc so one is but obviously this is you know it's it's qualitative so it's basically it's not giving you any data it gets you a feel 
right? So I didn't like that. So I structured uh, basically a test that you can actually measure. And so the, te- the, the second test that we usually do is um, sort of a LinkedIn campaign test. So what you do is um, you create um, from your value proposition and your, and your unique selling points, you create a context document, which is basically what's the context that I need to give to the user so that they um, have enough data to convert. Right. And you put your value proposition on top and you turn that into a LinkedIn connection request. So you have high name. We are working on a solution that helps you save 20 percent of your uh, maintenance costs. Would that be of interest to you? And you put put that into a connection request and you put it into a software for, um, you know, um, LinkedIn, um, a LinkedIn automation software. Right. So. Now you have the connection request. In the follow-up messages, you give them more co- more um, context, right? So we give them, all right, so we are this company that does this and we are doing that, et cetera, et cetera. And you have a connection request and four follow-up messages or something like that. And when you have that, you just run the campaign. You can do this organically. You can reach out to your target ICP and just send them connection requests or you can automate that um, and test uh, on an automation if you don't, don't have the time to do it organically. But basically, what you're measuring is how many people that receive your connection requests, um, how many of them accept the connection requests. That's your first test because your value proposition is in your first connection request. So that means that if your value proposition works, if it's interesting enough, at least 35% to 40% of people will accept your connection requests. Others obviously won't because they're not active LinkedIn users, et cetera, et cetera. But you have to have at least 40% of people accepting that um, uh, for the value proposition to be sort of um, at least partially proven. And then from the context, the idea is to get them on a call. So what you're measuring is how many people do accept the connection requests, how many people do actually reply to me, and how many people do get to the call. And you can measure um, the effectiveness of your value proposition of your context that you're giving them, which is sort of your whole positioning. And you can see, um, and, and so the, so the final outcome is actually, you can see how many people get to the call and you want at least 10% of the people get to a call. And we, if you have those numbers, if 40% of people accept your connection request, if about 40% of people um, reply to you and about 10% of them come to the call, you now have a growing funnel, right? Because if you keep doing that, you're basically, basically getting more and more people onto your calls. And you can turn these calls into sales calls because these people are actually, they're SQLs because they went through the filter. If the value proposition didn't interest them, they wouldn't accept the connection requests. If the context that you're giving them wouldn't be interesting, they wouldn't come to the call. And on the call, they already know what you're doing and they already know what they're looking into. So you can basically test whether your positioning works like that and start creating a growing funnel out of that. So I don't call it testing anymore. I'm starting 
I, I'm, I'm calling it like starting a growing and sustainable funnel or something like that. Like it. Because nobody wants to do testing. Fair. <laughs> Everybody knows that they should be doing it, but it's yeah. like uh, blessing your yeah. Now, this was amazing. I know that you do like other amazing experiments with Google Ads, for example, with A-B testing on messaging. Sorry, sustainable sales funnels. <laughs> but listen, we could talk for hours and hours about your favorite subject and how I think it implements in pricing strategies and other things that I'm very passionate about. But uh, what's the best way to continue this conversation? Um, how can audience connect with you and if you have any additional gifts for them? Additional gifts. Uh, like we, gifts. We, we did. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely find me on, on, uh, LinkedIn, follow me on LinkedIn. Um, some big announcements coming up on LinkedIn as well. Uh, yeah, did you planning get married? a lot of, uh, I didn't, I, I didn't get married. Oh, so um, it's a business I, announcement. It's a, it's definitely a business announcement. Um, we'll, we'll see in a couple of days, maybe a week, probably. Um, I'm basically, I'm starting to, to solve um, one issue that's really, really close to me. But as in terms of gifts, um, if you want to, oh, and I can look at the camera instead of, um, at the screen, but, um, uh, if you want, like, if you need a quick, um, thought or a quick audit of your positioning, if your positioning sort of, if you don't know whether it's working or not, and whether you're giving out the right context, um, do, Give us your details. We'll probably we'll have a form, right? Um, yeah, we'll link. we can form. put a form. Yeah, we'll because otherwise form. I'm terrible with emails. We gotta have the yeah, forum. And... Yeah, no, exactly. I, yeah. I agree. Um, so we'll have a form on in the links. Um, apply, and I will check your positioning and give feedback to you how to solve it or how I would tackle that. Um, in basically via email. So. Or we can do a live roast as well. Yeah, we can do an office hours or whatever we can, they want. Yeah, we can we can do a live roast. So um, in the forum, there is going to be a couple of questions like, "What's your number one challenge that you're trying to solve? Um, why do you think positioning for you for you isn't working? Are you you know struggling to attract customers, convert customers? Uh, what's your landing page and all of that? Put that in, fill that in, and I'll get back to you with my thoughts on how I would tackle positioning." Um, if I were the CEO of your company, so or product marketer in your company, so that's I think the best gift I can give. It's my brain and my thinking. True that, true that. I I'm grateful else. to have the access to you. So here you see I wrote material for at least two LinkedIn statuses. So we will continue this conversation definitely. Um, thank you so much, Andre, for being an awesome friend to me. First of all, a book contributor, somebody who taught me the most about positioning, practical positioning in my life beyond books. And nevertheless, for taking the time to just like spill your knowledge with my community as well good luck on your endeavors and if i know one thing about you is that everything starts with great positioning 
True. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me and uh, giving me this opportunity. And yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversations that are, that are going to get started from this. Yeah, get your grill ready because we're going to roast some profiles. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Right. Thanks for listening and um, just apply. Just apply to continue this conversation. Follow Substack, follow LinkedIn, follow Andre, because this is something that we definitely have to fix in our products, especially if conversions are not where we'd want them to be. Thanks so much and I do hope you enjoyed the show. Hey, I very much appreciate that you listened to this episode. If you liked it, definitely let me know on LinkedIn, hit likes, subscribes and whatever platforms you are using. But more importantly, if you are hungry for more go-to-market, tangible go-to-market secrets, you are welcome to subscribe to my Substack. I send it out every Thursday. It's for free and usually it consists of three or four different pieces. The first one is always the example. So what was actually going on in the real world. Then we have a couple of like mental models, tools, frameworks, mood boards, mirror boards, whatever, in order to provide you some tangible value. And last but not least, I am so looking forward to hearing from you and just like make sure that we are producing content, which is resonating with you and answering the questions that you have. If you want, definitely connect on LinkedIn. And as I always say, let's go to market.